Presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. This is the second stop on our 30-team trip around the majors. If you didn't hear our show yesterday, you can go back and hear the whole spiel about how this works. But the basics that you need to know, we are previewing each team leading up to the season going in reverse order of Pakoda projected win totals. We started yesterday with the Phillies. And that takes us to today's team, the Twins. Later in this episode, Sahadev Sharma will be talking to Mike Berardino, the Twins beat writer for the Pioneer Press. But we have the pleasure of talking to the author of this year's Twins chapter essay in the BP Annual. He is a digital producer for American Public Media, works on the Infinite Guest Podcast Network, and if you're a Twins fan, you know him from the internet, from Twinkie Town, from Randball Stew on Twitter, many other places. He is Steve Newman. Hey, Steve. Hey, Ben. So I will start, I suppose, on a positive note with prospects, and the thing that strikes me about the Twins prospects lists is that the current one looks almost exactly like the one last year. I looked at the top 10 prospects at BP for 2015. The top four guys are exactly the same as last year's top four guys. Seven of last year's top 10 are in the top 10 this year. So the Twins and the Cubs have kind of been the the consensus number one and two systems in some order over these last couple of years. But Cubs fans got to see some of those prospects last year. And Twins fans didn't really, except for five games from Jorge Polanco. So does it <laughs> feel like you have one of the best farm systems in baseball, or is it all sort of well, abstract? It, it, it's very abstract. Um, people talk about it. It's like a rumor, you know, like some like three towns over back in the 1930s of, you know, something you hear about, but you never actually see because... Well, I mean, the top two guys are Sano and Buxton, and they were both hurt most of the year last year. Mm-hmm. So you just keep waiting and waiting for this promise to be fulfilled, but you never see them because, and obviously, last year they didn't even play. So, I mean, it's just, you're waiting. You're waiting for Godot, and mm-hmm. that probably doesn't make any sense. But, um, yes, you're just constantly waiting for these prospects to just show up. I was it hoping there'd weird. be a, he, some twins prospect with a last name that sounded like Godot, so I could make Sano, a pun. Ben, Godot, Sano, Sano, there you go. Sano, Jesus. Okay. And Sa- Samuel, Samuel Beckett could have authored the last four or five years of the Minnesota Twins, to be honest. <laughs> it really it's, is It's weird. been brutal. We, we just did our top 101 at BP on, on Monday, and it was sort of odd to, to, see, to think that Buxton was still number one after being number one last year, and Sano had actually moved up from 14 to 12 because of promotions of guys ahead of him and yet like it just doesn't feel the same as it did a year ago like it feels like those were just two lost seasons was it um kind of a uh, a sense of gloom about that throughout the year with neither of those guys really playing at all or uh are they you know still far enough away from mattering anyway that it, people are still like uh, thirsty for updates and good news about them 
I think there's still some thirst for updates. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, once they both were hurt and out for, the, I think when uh, the uh, Buxton's outfield collision happened, it's almost like you could, I, I am totally just spitballing here. That might've been like when you knew the writing was on the wall for Ron Garden hire. I mean, and that just, it seemed like that was like, well, there's nothing to look forward to in this regime. It's just never going to happen. And just, you know, turn the page because it's, it's a lost season for these two guys. I think there was some outside hope that maybe in September we would have seen one of those guys last year, even though I think that was very, very unlikely. There was like just that little glimmer of hope that maybe you would have seen at least one of those two guys, but it just never happened. And well, now Ron's not here and those guys are pretty much exactly where they were. So um, to circle back on what I was saying, we're just waiting. <laughs> so was there something about Garden Hire that wasn't working anymore or was it just the team not working and he happened to be there? I just think it, you know, I think they'll be as good this year. I mean, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. I think they'll be better this year and I don't know that it'll necessarily be because they switched managers. Um, it's just, I think there was just so much, I mean, garden hire just had his, he, that, that, okay. My inability to articulate about Ron garden hire kind of is where we were with Ron garden hire. Uh-huh. It's just, he had been here for so long and they were just in this rut and you don't want to just say fire some guy for fire in some guy's sake, but maybe just, changing up uh, at the top was something that needed to be done because there's just there's just only so many times you can just see the number two hitter being the second baseman just because he's the second baseman and that's where you hit is number two in Ron Gardenhire's lineup and it just never made any sense and it was just but he did those things and he ignored I know that the the Sabre community around here was never uh terribly pleased uh with how Gardenhire went around thing went about things and uh I think the hope is that at least there'll be a little more in that direction with Molitor, but I just think they'll be improved enough with Molitor, with um, uh, the, the the team as it exists now, that they'll just be better this year regardless of who's managing them. So there's no real consensus on how much a manager is worth, a good manager or a bad manager. It seems like what I hear more people believe is that a good manager can't move the needle a whole lot, but a, a bad manager can move it a lot. By the end, was Gardenhire a bad manager, do you think? And, and do you get the sense that he was actively costing them you know, more than one or two pointless wins a year? You know, I would have liked to have seen that in games that mattered. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what Joe Madden could have done with that pitching staff. I mean, outside of Phil Hughes last year, it was just a goddamn train wreck. And it was like that for, you know, years, ever since the last um playoff run they had has just been terrible i just don't know that i would have liked to have seen um if garden hire in games that mattered would have made any difference for good or ill i just i just don't think anybody could have done anything with that pitching so you mentioned uh garden hire having been there forever and that's Mm -hmm. kind of the thing with the twins everyone has been there forever yes so does molitor in any way feel like a fresh start or is it just a guy who's been associated with the organization and now he's in a different <laughs> role with that organization? You know, you know, I, that's, that's the million dollar question for this year is that if they just rearrange the deck chairs or is there an actual fresh start? I mean, there's a lot of guys who are still, 
you know, I think I swear, I swear to God, I think Bill Smith is still with the organization somewhere. <laughs> um, and the, the guy who's, who signed Suyoshi Nishioka, I mean, he's still there somewhere. I think he's like working in the minors or something like that. And I apologize if that's completely incorrect. And please, you know, flame me internet once you get this online, if I'm completely wrong about that. But, um, yeah, that's, I, I don't, I, I think the hope is that there's just a fresh way of thinking about going about things. But I think there's some um, skepticism that that's actually the case. And you also mentioned the rotation, which was terrible last year, slight, mm-hmm. slightly less terrible than the year before. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't for lack of trying. They they did make what, what they, they thought did. would be upgrades, and Hughes at least was. So now yes. they have made further attempts at upgrading. Mm-hmm. Do you expect these to be successful? The the one signing that maybe perplexed everyone or a lot of people was the Santana signing. So you can tell us what you thought of that. But just how how terrible will this year's rotation be compared to the last couple? Well, of years? yeah, um, uh, it, uh, the I hesitate to say it can't get worse because that's uh, well, you said that a few years running and it kept getting worse. And uh, last year, like you said, it went. From a garbage fire to just maybe a small, like, oven fire? I don't know. Um, I don't, I mean, they they, um, they had the money to spend. So, I mean, I'm glad they brought something in instead of just going, you know, trying to do another veteran reclamation project and, like, seeing if, you know, they could find wherever Sidney Ponson is and throw, like, a make-good deal at him or something. They actually spent money to bring Irvin Santana in. I have no idea if Santana will be any good, but I know he'll be better than their, you know, whatever reclamation project of the season's going to be this year. So um, as far as the other pitchers go, I mean, you hope, however much Hughes um, regresses, you hope that Nolasco, who was just terrible last year, just awful, um, hopefully that maybe he'll improve a little bit to make up for whatever regression that Hughes has, if there's any regression. Do you, uh, by the way, I, I just asked... Uh one of our prospect guys, and the twin system will uh, almost certainly rank number two this year. So even though they dropped from number one uh, to the point you were making, it is still very good. It's got to be unusual, yeah. right, to yeah. to have your top two guys stagnate and the list hardly change, and yet the the organization as a whole has not really dropped in the ranking. It's probably also pretty rare to have a number one organization promote zero of those players. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And, and drop. I mean, normally you, once you get to that point, you start dropping because you're graduating your stars. Uh, and that didn't happen. Um, do you live in Minneapolis or Minnesota? Do you live near the twins? I I, Yeah, I live about an hour Northwest. So it doesn't seem to me that most teams reflect their region in any meaningful way that, you know, there's nothing about the Cleveland Indians that is uh, the way it is because they play in Cleveland or, you know, that the, um, you know, that the Rockies are like the Rockies because they play other than, you know, the things like their ballpark or their, their revenue. But as far yeah. as the character of the area, uh, it doesn't seem like it ever actually matters, but it, maybe it kind of feels to me without any thought or evidence behind this. Like I sort of have this, this thing in my brain that thinks that the twins are like they are because of the character of Minneapolis. Is that, is there anything to that, or is that just me stereotyping two two different groups of things together into one neat no, stereotype? I, okay, no, I think that's I think that's a fair assessment. Um, 
you know, they have this thing. They just had this thing a couple of weeks ago. It's called the Twins Fest. And they just open up, you know, Target Field. It was the Metrodome before that. And a bunch of Twins rubes just show up. And, you know, all the old Twins are there. Your Kent Herbecks, your Tony Olivas, your guys who are never – I mean, I think Mike Pagliarulo is just there constantly because, you know, it's Mike Pagliarulo. What else is he going to be doing? And they just show up and autograph baseballs and just, you know – walk around there's just souvenirs and stuff like that and like it sells out every year and it's just people stand in line for three hours to like shake Juan Berenguer's hand and I think it's just there's a certain uh there's an attachment here and it's just they've taken on there's like this just I don't want to say it's like the Fargo type of um, attachment but there's a certain upper midwestern fatalistic you know sentimentality i don't know if that's i'm i'm you know on my second beer right now so maybe i'm not making any sense at all but um, (laughs) i think that's uh i think that is a fair assessment yeah so what do you think it would be like if the twins you know just completely cleaned house in the front office totally unexpectedly totally against character and hired some team's sharp quanti assistant gm and he came in and tore the whole thing down uh, and you know, did a kind of an Astros style rebuild or a Cubs style rebuild or something like that. What what do you think would be the reaction? Would would there be like uh, rejoicing or would it um, kind of go over poorly? I think it would split right down the middle between the people who've been wanting that to happen just for them to blow the whole thing up, and for the people who've just you know, well, you know, that's just not how things are done here. You know, we gotta, you know, there's a tradition here. We go from there's a, you know, a line from Tom Kelly to Ron Gardenhire to Paul Molitor. And we just, that's the way we do things here. And um, I think I would be leaning to the side that um, the blow up is probably, especially if things don't pan out here in the next year or two under Molitor, I think uh, that might almost be the thing that will happen. I think, I think that's the next, um, if you want to like the, if those things don't pan out, if Buxton and Sano get here and things don't, markedly improve i think that could be the next phase and i think that would maybe make it something that would be more desired than it would be right now because i i don't think i don't think that they're quite ready at least up here for a full rebuild yet i don't think that but i would be in favor of it if you're wondering that's something that i would count myself as approving of so that was going to be my my kind of my next question um Mm -hmm. Uh, but you sort of answered it. I was going to ask you to predict how many years Paul Molitor will be the manager. Oh, um, boy. He's um he's in his 60s, if I remember right. No I way. Say that cannot possibly be. Late, late 50s, early 60s. I'm oh, pretty sure stressing. of it. It is. It's, it's, we're, we all get old, man. Um, 58. Uh, no, he's, 58. He's 40, there we go. Thank you. He's 41 the last year he played, and I'm just going <laughs> to leave it there. But, yeah, I think I think – Two seasons, because they're really? getting the, yeah. I, I I think two. I think they're pre, they're pretty restless here. I mean, it's been a while, and Target Field's getting pretty empty, pretty uh, early in the season. I think you know by July fourth, you can get a good seat. It's it's not that hard to get a good seat at Target Field, and that's not the case. That was not the case the first two years, but now it's uh it gets to midsummer, and you can sit pretty much wherever you want in the ballpark. And that's, I don't think, anything that they want. I don't think the poll ads want that. And, um, again, if uh, if it continues down this path, if there is not, 
they need to finish 500, if not this year, then next year. There needs to be some definite sign of improvement. There need to be meaningful games, you know, near the Labor Day holiday. <laughs> it's, uh, I think the uh, full rebuild could actually, the full blowout, full rebuild could actually happen. So is the Twins roster construction as counterproductive as it seems? I mean, we talk about the lack of strikeouts. It's it's an easy target. They are every year perennially the lowest strikeout rate in the league. And you could imagine how maybe that would work if they caught the ball and they were a mm-hmm. great fielding team and, and <laughs> they just converted every ball and play into outs and maybe they could win that way or at least lose less that way. But it seems like they are doing exactly the opposite. They have a yeah. fly ball staff that puts the ball in play all the time with a terrible defensive they, outfield. Yeah, the, the, they had a fly ball staff in their outfield. Two-thirds of it was Jason Kubel and uh, Josh Willingham. I mean, what what the hell are you supposed to do with that? I mean, that's just... It's, that, that's, yeah, that's... that's yeah, I literally stammer and I can't think straight just thinking of the roster construction sometimes. It just... It boggles the mind, and I—I I mean, uh, I mean, Oswaldo Arcia is like one of my favorite players to watch in this team. But I mean, if you if you have a uh, fly ball pitching staff and you have him manning right field, I mean, my God, it's uh, it'll be it'll be it's fun to watch because he's he's fun to, just he's fun to watch as a player, but um, he's not he's not he's not fleet of foot, and he's not fundamentally sound necessarily with outfield defense. Mm-hmm. And now you have the Tory Hunter homecoming. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's yeah. I yeah. <laughs> Next question. Uh, yes, please. So, uh, the lead story on Twinkie Town right now, the the headline is how good is Brian Dozier? So I mm. will ask you that same question: How good is Brian Dozier? He's a top ten second baseman. I think he's really good. He has fantastic hair. I don't think that's mentioned enough on the nat- whatever national profiles are done of him. He ha- his his hair is he's got eighty hair. That's uh, it's not it's not to be trifled with. But I mean he's he's really good, and I don't think I don't think we expected that up here. I think he was kind of seen as you know just kind of like one of those guys who was following down like the Joe Benson path of somebody who was supposed to be good, supposed to be good, got here, wasn't good, ended up you know, playing, you know, for the Padres at some point. But, um, no, he's, I, I think he's um, a top 10 second baseman. He's, he's good. He's a good player. And I am happy that he's on the Minnesota Twins. And speaking of people with good hair, we should probably also ask the same question about Joe Maurer. How good uh, is Joe Maurer? Um, uh, that's, that's another very uh, interesting question. I hope he's healthy. For his sake, because I have been a Joe Mauer, uh, Joe Mauer apologist for a fairly long time, because I just think he's unfairly criticized by a lot of people who expect him to, you know, repeat his Metrodome power totals, even though that's just not ever going to happen, and people need to get over that. Um, if he's healthy and his decline hasn't started, I think um, he'll be just fine. But that's in the back of my mind is that he's been injured a fair amount. And now he's, you know, speaking of people getting older, he's at the point in your career when those numbers and stuff just tend to go down. So I guess this is a wait and see type of year for him. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I, I hope he's not declining, but 
it wouldn't surprise me if that was starting now. Is there any indication that this bob uh, that you know it this is wearing on him in a way that you know would potentially sort of spiral in a sense? I mean, <sighs> I guess I guess I don't want to I don't want to jump to any conclusions about his career or anything like that. Uh, but uh, like I'm wondering whether this is like sort of a Dale Murphy kind of a career where it's just going to be you know very sad for a while. Or the Jason Kendall career, maybe, which is the yeah. guy he's always comp to. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's possible. I just, I it's it's possible. I I mean, he was hurt a fair amount. Like he had, he was, you know, and in, in the end, you don't want to play a doctor with like concussions because head injuries are just you know such uncharted territory um, to begin with. And he, I mean, he had just he was com- uh, coming back from that. He had. You know, he'd had twins in the offseason. And I mean, you know, that's another thing that's just like you don't sleep and you're recovering from a head injury and then you like, you know, hurt yourself again. And it's just it all piles up from there. And that's another thing. He's getting older and it takes a while to recover things. And I just God, I hope I'm wrong. (laughs) I really hope I'm wrong because I really like Joe Maurer as a player. He was in his prime. He was just, you know, just so fun to watch and. Now I, I'm worried that he's getting old and sad like me. And can you tell us about Phil Hughes's season, what that was like to watch? It was such a fun season to analyze and try to figure out how it he was, was doing what he was doing. It was fun to watch because it had been so long since a Twins pitcher had been competent or Twins starter had been competent. I mean, we've had Perkins, you know, for, you know, been consistently a very good closer for years now. But it had been a long time since you would go to see a Twins pitcher pitch and pitch competently. And it was just it was it was just weird. (laughs) And this is I, I you can ask any Twins fan. I mean, it's you would like you just don't you haven't expected to see anybody do that. It it was like. I mean, it's, he was not as good as Johan Santana was. I don't want to, but that was the last, like, you know, pitcher who you would, who the Twins had, who you would expect to do those things. And that just tells you how sad it's been is that Phil Hughes, I mean, I don't think that was, a, you know, a Cy Young winning season last year, but he was, you know, like really super incredibly competent. Mm-hmm. And that was just a sight to behold up here. It, it's been a while. Did you get a, any sense of why it was working? Like, A, how he was no. just able to throw so many strikes, and B, why throwing so no. many strikes worked so well? No, I don't. I, I mean, you tell me. Is it getting? Was it getting out of New York? Was it just, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anyone has a good answer. That's why no one really knows, you know, what's going to happen this year. You wonder, is this, well, the other is like they're going to be another shoe falling here. Is it's going to keep happening? I mean, if it keeps happening, and then Nolasco actually does well this year, and then you know maybe you know this is where you know the optimism starts creeping in, and you want to guard against that if you're Minnesotan because God knows you can't be happy with all of our you know Scandinavian blood rushing through our veins. Um, you had to be you had to temper that with like oh well you know you know there's a blizzard coming. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I I don't know. That's the best answer I can give you. Is I don't know how he did that last year. I hope he does it this year, though. All right. Well, we make our guests end with a win total prediction. Uh, so tell us, tell us, synthesize all of these things that are running through your head that you don't know how they will work out, and tell <laughs> us how things will work out. I think they will go seventy-eight and eighty-four. Okay, not bad. 
Yes. That would, that would be... That would be fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I would be thrilled with that. Okay. Would you? Would you? There's no part <laughs> yes, of you... Yes, I, no, I, I would be no thrilled. Part of you that would be, there's no part of you that, that thinks maybe... That, that wishes that maybe they would have <laughs> a terrible year and get something out of it? Oh, I see what you mean. Um, no, I, 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 I want them to improve. I just want... I just want to be happy again, Sam. And it's, well, it doesn't. It doesn't really seem like they're not. It does seem like they're not really in a position where competing is going to cost them anything. I like, think this is pretty much the time for. I mean, they've got a bunch of guys who are young and at the major league level who need to sort of gel together. So probably right. it is good for them to start winning. I would like that. I would like like you know the. I think the ideal scenario for these guys is um, like the 1984 Twins, where like the the was like. I want to say, you know, you had your Herbeck, Gaetti, that core of players, and they came really close to making the playoffs that year. And then they just, you know, they I believe Jamie Quirk uh, had won at bat for Cleveland that entire year and hit a home run and knocked him out of the pennant race like in the last weekend of the season. And then that's that type of team, that's like their, I can't finish that sentence. I just want them to be good again. I just, (laughs) that's, I think, as close as they can get to, like, being good with this core of players. You'll always have Kent Herbeck's Twitter account. We'll always have Kent Herbeck's, yes, he'll have pictures of uh, really (laughs) distressed-looking guacamole. (laughs) All right, well, thank you for coming on and telling us about the Twins. It's been fun. Everyone can follow Steve on Twitter. At RandBallsStew, you can yes, you may. find his writing at various sites, including Twinkie Town, and listen to his podcasts, the Infinite Guest Network. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you, Ben. All right, so now stay tuned for Sahadev speaking to Mike Veradino. Welcome to the Sahadev Sharma-hosted part of the podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, Associate Editor for Baseball Prospectus. I write things and stuff about baseball for Baseball Prospectus, and with me is someone else who writes things and stuff, mainly on the Twins. That's Mike Berardino, Twins beat writer for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Mike, thanks for joining me. Hope all is well. Everything's good. Thanks for having me. Uh, Let's kick it right off, get right into baseball. Uh, I was looking at the Twins staff and the pitching staff doesn't look as awful as one would think the numbers that they posted. On paper, it doesn't look as bad. Uh, but then when you look at the years that Ricky Nolasco had, Kyle Gibson had, that it was pretty rough. Uh, from Everyone pretty much had a rough season other than Phil Hughes. Is, is, it really, uh, the, is the pitching success hinging on guys like Nolasco and Gibson, assuming Hughes takes that, continues that, that breakout season? Is it hinging on Nolasco and Gibson, or is it really an addition like Irvin Santana and po- the potential arrival of Alex Meyer that really uh, makes this pitching staff go? I think all of the above. I mean, for starters, you know, it's not a given that Phil Hughes can back up a tremendous breakthrough year like that with another one. Um, in fact, in recent years, he's had 
one really good year, one one pretty poor year. So he needs to back it up and show that uh, that he can pitch in uh, odd numbered years as well as the even ones. It's been a, a struggle for him lately, but no indication that that he would uh, backslide. I don't know if he's going to have 11.63 strikeout to walk rate this year, but um, but certainly uh, the, the durability is there and the They've, they've got him locked up now for three more years um, beyond the contract, so five more years, and they, they hope that he's just entering um, the most productive phase of his career. I think Urban Santana is the guy who's slotted at number two, and they just want him to keep doing what he's been doing. Uh, at, you know, multiple stops here, the fourth different place that he's pitched in as many years, but um, uh, four-year deal and uh, with a fifth-year option, and they hope he just keeps churning out 200 inning seasons for them. Um, and also that he brings, um, uh, I don't know, a little presence, a little veteran presence into that, uh, into that clubhouse, especially among the Latin, uh, players There are a lot of young Latin players with the uh, high upside and, and still a lot of a uh, learning curve and, um, and including a young, young pitcher who might uh, show up by the second half named, uh, Jose Barrios, who was their minor league pitcher of the year. After that, Nolasco is had a lot to prove, as Terry Ryan says, and Nolasco knows that. And the year one of his four-year deal was a disaster, in part because he pitched through pain that he did not disclose in the first half and then missed six weeks. And when he came back, he wasn't bad, and his ERA was under three in September. So they hope there's more of that. Um, and in the back end of the, you know, Kyle Gibson on the nights when he was on was as good as anybody, way better than you would think with a guy who doesn't miss bats all that uh, terribly much. But with that heavy sinker, um, 50% ground ball rate, it seemed like on, on a lot of those nights, especially down the stretch, but then too many clunkers, too many two innings and out. So uh, Kyle Gibson needs to be more, uh, more uh, I, I suppose, predictable, and, and uh, they would trade some of the high-end stuff for just very solid six-inning-plus uh, performances. But he, he uh, he's healthy, several years now uh, removed from Tommy John surgery, and, and certainly the – the intelligence and the, the durability and the leadership all seem to be there. And then the, at the back end, they purposely saved that last spot for uh, Trevor May, uh, could be Alex Meyer, but more likely Tommy Malone, who they went through the arbitration process with and avoided a hearing. They're giving him $2.775 million. So, um, you know, he's probably the front runner, along with Mike Pelfrey sitting there uh, with one year left and $5.5 million on his deal. If he doesn't win that final spot, maybe they tread Pel- uh, Pelfrey in the bullpen. Uh, yeah, it, I was looking at that rotation. And I was just surprised at the depth, and maybe maybe it's just more because we recognize the names more than anything else. Yeah, there's a I don't think they're going to be that bad. I, I I mean, yeah, it's been you know multiple years in a row now where they've been 29th and 30th as a rotation in Major League ERA, and that's a big reason why Ron Gardner and Rick Anderson were showing the door. Um, but Neil Allen, first-year pitching coach in the majors, gets a chance to put his stamp on this group. And and again, if, if uh, you mention Alex Meyer out of the shoot, that's the guy that the fan base really wants to see. He's 25 now and has yet to throw a major league pitch. He was going to come up in September last year, but he's going to be in a relief role because he's getting close to his innings limit for them. Uh, and then he had shoulder fatigue in his last outing at Rochester, and he never made it. But he's in good spirits. We saw him a few weeks ago at Twins Fest. And uh, he's wearing number 51 now, big Randy Johnson fan. He was motivated by the fact that uh, not only is Randy Johnson a Hall of Famer at a very uh, extended height, uh, even though righty-lefty, but he was reminded Randy 
did not break into the major leagues till age 25. Ivan, uh, Alex brought that up himself. Interesting. Okay, that's a that's a lofty goals for Meyer there. On the opposite end of things, the the offense was quite a surprise last year as far as producing runs and getting on base. Uh, Two, two guys that were part of that surprise were Brian Dozier and Danny Santana. Uh, how how important is it for them to repeat that, and how realistic is it for them to repeat those types of seasons? Well, Santana was a revelation. Uh, to, to Obviously, his, uh, his batting average on balls in play probably not sustainable. It's more than 400. Um, but he does have speed, and they switch hitter. And, um and he's playing a different position, uh, really a brand new position last year, played center field, learning that on the fly. They hope he'll move in the shortstop where the error count might be somewhat high, but um, you know, certainly he won't have as much to think about if uh, at the plate if, if he's playing his natural position. We'll see. Um, but he was awfully good at the plate in terms of not expanding and, and punishing mistakes and even showed more gap power than we had been led to believe. And he's really, really fast out of the box, so triples are always in play especially in a big home park. Um, Brian Dozier, the light went on for him in May of 2013, and it stayed on ever since, although he did tail off a little in the last couple of months in 2014. I'd say there are a number of nagging injuries that might have slowed him. Uh, He played through a thumb injury late. Um, That certainly can send somebody off course, but uh, his defense was outstanding. He's one of the best base runners in the game, and the metrics prove that. And he's just one of these guys who's under the radar because the Twins don't win a lot, but um, he's a winning player. And it um, wouldn't surprise me to see uh, if they try to lock him up here in the not-too-distant future, even though he's still one one year away from arbitration. Um, but he's, he, too, is entering his prime, and I think that's sustainable, what, what he's showing, uh, because it's not just uh, uh, pole power, which he does have, but it's, it's increased selectivity. I mean, that is the walk total it keeps rising uh the runs of course along with that because he's on base so much uh and like i say a, a daring and, and smart base runner uh on the subject of that offense i got an email from matt Trueblood, true blood who's a regular uh baseball prospectus reader and he uh he noticed the twins have taken the first pitch more often than any other team than the red sox in each of the past two years uh, in fact it's the red sox and twins than a small golf than everyone else uh, the Twins have been taking the first pitch on a programmed basis, is is what I'm saying. It's contributed to their overachievement at the plate each season and to their having the second highest walk rate in the majors in 2014. So what he wants to know is, was this a garden hire thing, a dictum from the hitting coach, a front office mandate? Uh, do you have any insight onto that? Is that something that that is uh, talked about openly, uh, taking the first pitch? Uh, I guess it, you probably wouldn't want to talk about that openly, uh, letting the pitcher know that we're <laughs> we're regularly taking the first pitch. But is this something that's that's noticed and that's and that's actually uh, uh, taught throughout the system, perhaps? Um, well, I'll start with this. Uh, that was actually something that I probably. Has, has followed Joe Maurer throughout his career, and he actually uh, traditionally never swung at the first pitch. Last year, he, he did uh, put the first, he had an off year, especially an off first half, and he started to try to jump on the first pitch a little bit more. Um, in that, uh, he, he felt he was too predictable, and and uh, his his pattern reversed. But I know what you're saying, and um, that was not from Ron Gardenhire because Gardenhire was the one who'd be after Aaron Hicks, for instance. <laughs> Uh, who gets on base and is very selective, 
he wanted him to be more aggressive early in the count. Well, Gardenhire's voice has been removed from the equation. Tom Bernanski is back, though, and he's going into his third year as the hitting coach up here, and he had some of these guys in the minors. So, yes, his, in terms of selectivity, I'd say Bernanski has their ear and will continue to have it. And, you know, Kenny Vargas, for instance, did not – he went more than a month last year without drawing a single walk yep. as, 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 a, uh, as productive as he was after he came up in early August. He did have that period where they pretty much figured him out, and he was he was getting himself out. Uh, and then he goes to winter ball, which obviously is, is winter ball. But down in Puerto Rico, he was walking at a tremendous rate. And talked to him too recently at the Twins Fest, and he hopes to carry that on into the season. So if you have a guy in the middle of the order uh, with that kind of pop uh, and that profile, and he's selective and can follow along with those other guys, as the, as the emailer points out, that would be a good indicator as well. You mentioned Maurer there, and I'm, I've always been kind of fascinated with uh, small market teams having to kind of uh, pay a ton of money to one player. It can really uh, hamstring them as far as making future moves. Uh, is it, what, At what level does Maurer need to play uh, for, for a small market team like the Twins to justify paying him that much? Can it be the 2012-2013 level? Is that good enough? Or does he have to play at that MVP level that we saw uh, five, six years ago. Well, the tough part of that is that he's not catching anymore. Mm-hmm. And so um, the value that he brings has to so much come at the plate where there's just not going to be the power. Terry Ryan saying recently that, that they understand as an organization, that was the aberration, the 2009 MVP year power-wise was an aberration. And Target Field is a tough place for a left-handed hitter in general to, uh, to hit for power. Joe's going to hit the ball with authority the other way. Uh, into that left center gap all the way over to the left field line. And it's amazing. It seemed to me that the shift, the, the reverse shift that he faces in the outfield where everybody swings around uh, the other way, it was incredible how many times last year they were they were perfectly positioned for him. So the out, it's not so much the infield shift uh, getting him. It's, it's the way the outfielders can take away line drives. He's, his line drive rate was, was right in line with his career last year. It's just they were playing him better. He's, he's perhaps going to have to pull the ball a little bit more to get him to play him more straight up. There's been talk of that. Um, his strikeout rate has increased over the last couple of years. And, and certainly last year, he was putting pressure on himself in that first half. He wouldn't uh, admit to it, I'm sure. But you could see he wanted to, be, to hit more like a first baseman, perhaps. And he also wanted to make sure that he was in the all-star game where he was his stats were being not only was that all-star game at home, but his stats were being laid end to end with first basemen who have power totals that will dwarf his. So that's all out out the window. He's he's mentally in a really good place. Uh, when we talked to him a couple of weeks ago, his body had a chance this off season as opposed to last off season when he was coming off a concussion and really couldn't get his heart rate up. He's in tremendous shape now. You hear that all the time. He, it's it's logical now. And even though he's getting on in years, Molitor. And Joe had a long uh, lunch recently, the two St. Paul guys from the same high school, local heroes. And Paul Molitor has a chance now and, and said in advance what he hoped to help Joe with was how to attack the second half of a career. He's already had a fine first half and on into the early part of the second half of his career. But uh, the little tricks of the trade, the little, the little parts where uh, experience can pay and keep you productive day to day in the lineup, that's the thing with Joe Maurer throughout his career. If he's in the lineup, um, you're, you're generally going to be pleased with the results. But uh, I don't think anybody's looking for him to try to put up 20 to 30 home run seasons. Basically, you're looking for 
a John Olerud type, elegant swing, uh, still the selectivity at the plate, and um, he's a pretty good defender over there too, but that's not what you're paying him $23 million a year for at yeah. first base. That catcher, he could affect the game to the, to the point where you could overlook some of the power issue. He's going to have to be the high average guy, and he's going to have to uh, get that 400 on base back. Oh, if you could only take one of these two things for 2015 from Torrey Hunter, either a performance, an offensive performance uh, close to, you know, 2012, 2013, where he's still up in age, but performing at a pretty high level offensively, or for him to just be a role model, a leader in the clubhouse on a pretty young team, a team that uh, could use, uh, you know, uh, a guy, uh, watch, watch a guy like Torrey Hunter prepare for the game and go about his business and, uh, hopefully have a strong work ethic if it was one of those two things what's most important for 2015 and the twins so those are mutually exclusive you're saying you're either productive and silent in the clubhouse or you're unproductive and 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 a big impact in the clubhouse well i'm just i mean obviously he could do both but what which one is more important as far as tory hunter and the twins go Production on the field is always the most important thing because it's quantifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going to happen in that clubhouse? Uh, that's that's a bit murkier, and I don't think you pay anybody ten and a half million Agreed. to uh, to pat somebody on the back after <laughs> they go over five. But I do think that if he if he can be productive at thirty nine, going to turn forty in July, and like you say, 2013, 20, uh, 2012, 2013 with the Tigers, uh, still productive at the plate. Um, you know, not that selective. So that's going to, uh, that's going to pull down some of those first pitch swinging numbers probably. But, um, I, the power should be there. The, 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 uh, the uh, runners in scoring position knows for the RBI to what extent that can exist, that he's shown that over the years. And then, um, you know, the big question for me is defensively. They've already, been one of the worst defensive teams by defensive efficiency, as you guys know, over the last several years, and the outfield has been abysmal uh, in that in that regard. But Josh Willingham's now retired, um, so Arcia moves over to the left, and he was an adventure in right. And Torrey, whose defensive metrics showed that he was the worst defensive right fielder in all of baseball, who was a regular over the last two years which does not jive with what the twin scouts saw and what the twins, including Paul Molitor, say they saw from across the field through uh, division play over the last couple of years. So they're hoping he can hold off father time for another season. Might be more than one season, but certainly this season, uh, they need him to be productive on the field first and foremost. And the rest of it, the pithy quotes for us in the press, that's cool. The uh, things he might say to a, to a young player might be stepping out of line. That's fine. But he's not here to be a coach. He's here to play. Yeah, I I completely agree with the comment you said. Uh, the ten and a half million. If you if you're bringing a guy in for leadership, you can you can bring in a Raul Abanez or a Jason Giambi for a million and a half dollars and get get some of the best leadership in all of baseball. And and when you're paying ten and a half million dollars for someone, uh, I expect some pretty nice numbers on the field as well. It, being yeah, better, you got you got to have that start. Start with that. And who's going to listen to the guy who's hitting one eighty? <laughs> um, you know. And I mean, they went through it last year. Jason Kubel, who's a great guy, and and, and the, the you know Twins knew him well. And they brought him back in hopes that he would a be productive and b be able to bring some leadership to the to the process. And they ended up cutting him loose in June and bringing in Kendrys Morales, um, and that didn't go very well either. But uh, Kubel really had no platform because he, he couldn't produce, so mm-hmm. so it really didn't matter what he was saying. He was he was banging his head against the wall trying to trying to get on base. 
it's um it does start with production uh, you mentioned Garden Hire being gone and Molitor in. It, maybe this is a hard question uh, to answer right now because you haven't seen him manage a game. But uh, what type of manager do you expect Molitor, Molitor to be in the interactions that you've had? Is he is he a player's coach? Is he uh, is he going to be a guy that is open to uh, kind of advanced stats or out of the box thinking when he's in the game? Uh, how does he handle the media? Those are the three things that I look for: handling the media in game and how he handles a clubhouse. Do you have any grasp on uh, any of those just yet? Sure, to some extent, and don't forget handling a bullpen, yes. which may be the the number one divider of, of managers, especially as, as starters go shorter and shorter. Um, we don't know how that part will go. Never managed a game in his life. Um, I think he'll do just fine with the media. I think he'll be very careful. He, he chooses his words carefully. Uh, he's uh, very much a product uh, of Tom Kelly's uh, mentorship over the years, and they've gotten to know each other even better. Not only did he get to play for him at the end of his career, those three years in Minnesota in the 90s, but as a roving instructor, um, Tom Kelly continued to to have uh, Molitor's ear over the last decade uh, in the organization. So it's not like he's coming from the outside. So he, he's, he's a, it's very interesting because he's a known quantity in a lot of ways. But you're right in terms of pushing the buttons in game, standing up in front of the media after a loss when you've just put in your whole day into the process and and you're disappointed. Um, that's tough. And Ron Gardner had to give the losing end of that speech 90-plus times for four straight years. Um, no guarantee that things are going to turn around quickly. Uh, on the contrary, it's, it'll be a surprise if they do turn around quickly. But um, Molitor's going to have to make sure he chooses those words carefully in that regard. As far as the openness to advanced stats, very open. And to the point where he was the infield coach last year, brought on in 2014 for the first time to Gardenhire's staff, and their use of the defensive shift on the infield uh, grew exponentially. Um, and they were effective with it, too, because the data I've seen uh, from Inside Edge uh, showed that they were in the upper half, maybe around 13 or 14 all of baseball in terms of the percentage of, of hits taken away um, based on, on how much they were using the shift. So not only were they shifting far more last year with Joe Babra uh, in coach with, uh, with Molitor in setting that, and Babber stays on the staff, he'll be the bench coach. Um, and so that, that is an indicator right there that they're going to shift, I believe, even more this year. Um, Trevor Plouffe had his best defensive year at third base by far, and uh, Dozier continues to be a plus defender. So the sh- and Eduardo Escobar, who ended up playing half the game, starting half the game as a shortstop, was, was very effective, uh, sneaky good in the field and, and at the plate. So even if they ended up popping Escobar back there and, Santana back in center field, uh, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But as far as Molitor, um, sure, a lot of unknowns, but uh, a lot of reason to think that he'll figure it out. As far as you as a writer uh, covering this team, uh, not maybe not what's most important for the success of the team now or in the future, but what storyline, event, whatever it may be, what are you most excited for or interested in covering this season for the Twins? Well, yeah, you said this season. I, I had two names in my head. I'm just going to go ahead and say them now anyway because this is what's on the fan base of mine, and it may very well be this season. But when you have Byron Buxton, number one prospect in all of baseball in your system, and he should start the year at AA at Chattanooga. They're now in the Southern League, the Twins. And Miguel Sano will probably open the year right there as well. And he's 
at one time was number five in all of baseball. He's dropped to about 12 in most of these rankings, and you guys have him right in there too, I believe. So I think mm-hmm. mine have 12. That's, um, those are two pretty big pieces. Those are franchise-changing pieces that the Twins not only have to get them through a year healthy, so no obviously coming off Tommy John, Buxton off of concussion and a variety of issues, wrist and hand and finger. Uh, they both need to put up 500-plus at-bats this year, and if they can get them both, to the major leagues this year and get their feet wet and let them have at least what Kenny Vargas got to do last year, a couple of months of of confidence building where you're taking that into 2016 instead of having that be the great unknown, can Sano and Buxton play in the major leagues? Everybody assumes they can at some point, but you like to give them that that chance, keep them healthy, get them rolling. Um, That would be so big. I mean, just across the board, just the – uh, because so much of the plan long-term in, in this whole rebuild in trying to, to turn the Titanic uh, on the high seas is wrapped up in these high draft picks and, and, these, and these big international signings, and those two are at the top of the list. Yeah, as someone who's uh, covered and written about the Cubs uh, for the past three, four years, I certainly <laughs> understand uh, a fan base being excited about prospects and that being the most important or most fun and entertaining thing to write about because there's been little to it, – sometimes it feels like there's little to write about as far as storylines go with the major league clubs. So it's it's certainly well, exciting. I'll put it to you this way, yeah, exactly. We're not, we're not, as writers, we're not going to miss a single one of those – uh, Chattanooga lookout box scores this year. We'll probably be following them as closely as possible um, in game because uh, whether the Twins are playing well or not at the major league level, those guys have to get here in a timely fashion. And then when they get here, they have to succeed big because um, they were the, they were the top two attractions probably at, at along with Torrey Hunter at the at the Twins Fest uh, where 15,000 people came out over a three day period. The lines for Sano and Buxton still were. Uh, like Space Mountain. So that's that's what people want. They want to see those guys up here. They want to see Alex Meyer, too. Um, but uh, Buxton and Sano just uh, has a special ring to it. Mike, before I let you go, why don't you let the listeners know where they can find you on Twitter and where they can uh, read your work? Well, uh, I keep it simple there. At, at Mike Berardino, B-E-R-A-R-D-I-N-O, on Twitter and on Facebook. It's just Mike Berardino. And then TwinCities.com is St. Paul Pioneer Press's uh, website. And uh, we blog uh, at uh, Land Speed Records uh, once the season gets rolling. And and, uh, looking forward to it. So, yeah, hop on board. We'd love to have you. That's Mike Berardino, Twins beat writer for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. I'm Sahadev Sharma. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for joining me, Mike. All right. Anytime. All right. That's all the preview podcasting we have for you today. Please remember to check out the BP Annual and the companion posts for this podcast series at banishtothepen.com. Tomorrow's a listener email show, so please send us some emails at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. Please rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectivelywild and support our sponsor by going to baseballreference.com and subscribing to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back tomorrow.